Well, good morning. It's good to see so many familiar faces and some new faces as well. And uh, we're just really glad to be with you and to share with you about the ministry that the Lord has uh, put in our hearts in the last four years or so, five, I guess now. Uh, and uh, we are looking forward to, to talking to you about sowing hope. Um, we have um, uh, been interested in, if we can start the PowerPoint, that would be great. There we go. Um, we um, became interested in the land of Burundi uh, through a visit that my wife made, and Leslie's going to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, and in our uh, contact with this country, we have been given a burden to work in the city of Bujumbura, uh, which is a, not the capital, uh, but it is one of the, the primary cities of, of, of Burundi. Uh, but I, before we say a little, any, before I say any more, I'm going to turn over to Leslie to tell you about how this all started. Hi, good morning. Um, we, I had the opportunity to work for International Training and Equipping Ministries. It's a nonprofit that helps train pastors in how to in Africa specifically, but now I know they're in other countries as well. But at that time, it was just Africa that to specifically know how to study and preach the word of God. Um, oftentimes in Africa, um, they'll take a phrase out of scripture and they'll say they'll use that one phrase and say all kinds of crazy things. And there's all kinds of abuse as well going on because of that. So they are having a huge impact. Um, I appreciate them a lot. And they, we were trying to get together a women's ministry as well. And I said, oh, I think I can go. And um, so I wrote some letters, asked if anybody would be interested in helping to support. And lo and behold, many people from Westside jumped on board and helped and made this trip possible. Um, this was in 2018, October. Uh, we went specifically, there was a men's group and a women's group. Um, the men were going, working with the pastors and the um, folks who were um, in, in full-time ministry, mainly. And then we were working with the women. And it wasn't just pastors' wives. We had quite, we had like about 150 women coming to this seminar for a week. And we had such a precious time with them. We... Um, taught them about the word, how to use the word. We shared some of our stories. We got to hear some of their stories. Um, we, One of our gals, just she was handicapped, but just a beautiful woman. And she um, taught them how to hug and how to touch, you know, because they weren't real big into that. And that was just really fun and precious to see that. Um, at the end, we were able to give them Bibles as a gift. And you have never seen faces light up like they did. They were absolutely thrilled. And on the screen, you can see um, there's a woman in white, wearing a white dress. And um, as I was there during that week, I was able to communicate because I speak French. Because we were in France for 20 years. And um, so I... Um, their national language used to be French. Now they've gone back to Kirundi. But many of the women still spoke French. So I was able during our breaks to talk to them, to hear their stories, and to hear how tough life is for them. 
um, to hear two women left their husbands. They had three, four, five kids because of physical abuse. Um, I had a woman living with her husband still, but her husband was an alcoholic, so many times the family was going hungry. Um, I had I talked with the woman in white, Ruth. I just mentioned, oh, my, your ch- how old is your child? And she said, like, two years. I said, oh, he was on her, her back. And I said, well, he seems um, really small for two years. And she kind of got a little upset with me, and I understand that, because she said, well, you know, they only eat when I can go sell something at the market. I have six children. My husband left. And often the husbands will leave or abandon their families because there's no work. There's no work. And I think they just get discouraged and they just give up hope. And they're, they're, it's hard for them to see their family suffering. And so they will leave and abandon their wives and children. Um, she, um, so that just shook me to the core. And um, hearing these different women talk and, and how difficult their lives were. And so I started thinking, you know, I cannot not do anything. Um, you know, he who hears a need and then doesn't respond, um, I knew I needed to do something. So I started talking to these women about, hey, what if you had five chickens and a rooster and a hen house? And money for food for at least a month for these chickens. And um, so they, they, I said, talk to them. One, one gal in, in particular was super business-minded. And, and so they went to the market and they explored. And I said, how much, you know, they were finding out how much it cost and what they needed to make this happen to people who had already had chickens. And they got the information and came back. And I said, okay. It was about $70 to get them set up per person. And um, I was thinking of four particular people in mind. And I said, well, okay, let me just pray about this. I want to just pray about this. I'm not promising anything. I just want to see what can happen. Our next slide. Well, I had to have my crocodile Dundee moment here. Um, <laughs> this, uh, yeah, we, got, we also, you, you just never know what's going to happen when you go on a mission strip. Um, we had a hippopotamus on a street corner once because we were by a big lake. And as we were driving, and I said, stop, stop to the driver. But he was one of these guys with a, one thing in mind, and we've got to get to that place. And so we didn't get to stop. I didn't get a picture, but we did get to go to a zoo. And they told me it was okay. So I did it. <laughs> so as I was talking to the women at the end, this is Boniface. Boniface. Okalo. And he um, is the motor behind all that we are doing. He um, was the man who set up the conference, who organized it. I got to know him. He speaks better French than English. I was the interpreter. And um, we spoke a lot. And I just trusted his judgment. I trusted him. And uh, I asked him about this idea of chickens. And a rooster. And he said, oh, yeah, kind of, he poo-pooed it a little bit, but yeah, if, if you want to do that. And then I said, well, what about, because somebody else had talked to me about a sewing machine um, that, that had happened in another country. So I said, well, what about one sewing machine, you know, maybe at your church or something that people could use? And, oh, my goodness, he had a vision. 
And he said, oh, we could start a sewing machine school. And we could get a hired teacher and rent a room and start a school. And I'm going, mm, wait a minute. I'm thinking of dropping a few dollars and leaving. And um, that's the end of it. But he went on and he was very, very excited. So I said, well, let me pray about that and see what happens. Well, we were able to send money over for chickens and roosters to those four people. And um, then I shared this need of a sewing machine school with a friend, a couple friends. And um, they were both able to give funds. And we had some funds and we put it together and we had enough to buy three sewing machines and to rent a room for a month, to pay an instructor for a month and to get started. Well, five years later, we're still going. Um, We have had at least 450 graduates since then. Since January of 2019, the school started, it began, and it started small, very small, and it grew to 13 sewing machines, and sometimes we would have 20 327 people in a class and we kept telling Boniface no no not that many they just can't learn you can't have that many and um we had a teacher um full time and um and the people were learning we had at our school um you know jobs are Really, really hard to come by. So we've had an engineer go through the sewing machine school. We've had nurses and a business major, college graduates, because they just can't get jobs. You know, in Africa, it's all about who you know. It's about your connection. And if you're not connected to the right families, then Bujumbura is a city that is growing like crazy. Hundreds and thousands of people um, are moving to the city constantly. It... Um, and it's really a difficult financial climate. So we, um, I just want to go back to Ruth just one more time. Um, Ruth was able to go through the sewing machine school. She received a Bible. She got the chickens and, um, and the rooster. And um, she sent me a picture of a chicken laying on a bunch of eggs to hatch. And I wish we were back there last um, August, I really wanted to go see her. It just didn't work out. Uh, but um, Ruth sent back word with another group that went over there, and I wasn't there. But she said, tell Leslie, be sure and tell Leslie that she has changed my life. And, you know, it, it wasn't me. It was God. But that saying yes to a need, saying yes to something that God gives you can change people's lives. And um, so uh, we, we have, the sewing machine school has continued, it's grown, it's changed. We've had our problems, our issues, um, but we've been able to work through them and it's still growing. Um, we still have things to learn and things to do and to improvements to make. Um, we became a nonprofit about two and a half years ago, maybe three, no, three years ago at least. Um, uh, we, at first, we were graduating people but not providing sewing machines. And so only about 20% or 10% of the graduates really profited from the class because they could not ever afford a sewing machine. 
Some people got used ones um, and did start up. Some, some women got together, like four women would get together and purchase a used sewing machine and um, use that and start their business. Um, but not everybody was able to do that. So uh, my dad was the one who pushed me. And if you knew my dad, you would say he's the last person in the world to get involved in this. But he was kind of excited about this. And he pushed me and he said, Leslie, you have to start providing sewing machines. And he kept saying that over and over. And I said, Dad, it's too much work. It means I have to start a nonprofit. It means you have to keep that going. There's a lot of work involved with that. And um, But he said, Leslie, you need to do it. And so we did. We started a nonprofit. Um, then we started to be able to take funds to subsidize sewing machines. So we pay about two-thirds of a sewing machine, and they pay about a third. Now, there are some people who cannot even come up with that third, so we try to have um, some sewing machines that we are able just to give um, at, full, at full price. Um, the, the people pay like $1.65 a month to come to the school, and um, so we've got uh, those, they help cover some of the, you know, a little bit of the cost of the school. They learn to sew on a treadle sewing machine, um, not an easy task. A treadle sewing machine, they learn to um, create a pattern. They're in school for four months. They have to learn to create their own patterns. They, they don't have remade, ready-made patterns to go on. They don't have pins. They don't pin their thing. They just, their paper to the fabric. They take measurements. They take chalk. They draw it on the fabric. They cut it out, and they sew the dress, and they're not even pinning the fabric together. The dresses are all um, lined, and they all make at least a three-inch seam allowance in the back. So a woman can keep a dress for a very long time, and as she grows or gets pregnant, then she can just let the dress out, and it can expand with her. So you've got a dress for many, many years to come. Um, it was fascinating to watch how they do this. In order to graduate from the school, oh, we're, I'm not seeing a slide, but it doesn't matter. I probably skipped it. In order to graduate from the school, they have to know how to do certain things. And, um, but at the school as well, every day, every morning, the time is start out with Bible reading, prayer, and um, some singing, because they love to sing. And it's beautiful to hear them sing. And we have Muslims coming through the school. We have people of no faith at all coming through the school. And we're just praying that God will touch their hearts as they proceed. We um, have, at the end, they graduate, they get a tape measure, they get a pair of scissors, and they get a sewing machine. Uh, so it's pretty exciting. It's an exciting day for them. They, they start out small. With small businesses, they earn just a little bit of money to begin with. They build up their business. It takes time. And um, then they're able to help provide some of the needs for their family. Um, it's a, some people have, we have one gal who has, and they're just sewing out on the street or in the, you know, courtyard. There's no buildings for them to be in. We saw people constructing beds and stuff just on the street. So, um, that's just how they do it. Uh, we have one woman who actually started a business and has hired three women. Um, when we were able to go back there last August, uh, we had, 
um, three women, three or four women visiting the church. And afterwards, they come up to us and said, we want to thank you so much for what you're doing. It's a gift that keeps on giving. They had graduated and they have their machines and they've got their business and they say, you just don't know how much this is helping. That was phase one of what we got involved with in, uh, in Burundi. But we had another thing come up. Well, Leslie said we were in Burundi last summer, exactly about the same time. And we had a chance to, to go to, uh, to, to visit uh, Boniface's church, Pastor Boniface. And um, he had proposed to us in 2021 an idea of starting a rice project. And we thought, boy, how do we do this? Um, he sent us a, a budget. He had kind of a proposal. Uh, but we were really uncertain about it. How do we make this happen? So when we were there last August, we sat down with uh, Boniface and 24 women who all said, we want to do this rice project. We had our, ob- we had our objections. We thought, boy, how is this going to work? One... We don't give money away. We, we invest and we, we will not contribute to something if the people themselves aren't contributing as well. And so they said, well, we'll contribute. Uh, we said, this is a lot of work. And they responded back and they said in French, ah, les femmes burundiennes sont fortes. In other words, the French, the, the Burundian women are strong. <laughs> And they, and after, after thinking about it, praying about it, we said, okay, let's go for it. We produced the funds for them and they were able to go. And just to show you how, how strong they are, here you can see women who walk an hour to an hour and a half to actually work in a field. These are city women. They walk an hour to an hour and a half to get to a field. They work. They carry their tools, children on their back, and then they'll work in the fields for hours to prepare the fields. This is a rice paddy that was being prepared. Um, and the, the process of, of growing rice, I, I know a little about because I grew up in the Philippines uh, and saw rice being produced all the time. But they also had carabao, water buffalo. They had no mechanization, no animal help, nothing. Um, the, the 24 women broke into two groups. They each got a hectare of land, which is about two and a half he- acres. Um, they prepared the soil. They planted the first planting. It's kind of like a nursery. And when the, the, the uh, plants come up nice and green, they are then removed from the soil and then replanted and more spaced out. Um, the women organized their child care. All of these are moms. Uh, one of the women was recently widowed with four kids. Uh, one of the other women, um, her husband had left her and she was left with 12 children or something like that. Many of them looked very thin and had, uh, as we talked with them, we could tell they are not eating a lot. So here they took on this project. They worked really, really hard and it came to the end and they harvested. And you can see some of the bundles of rice that are, that are there, uh, in, in the rice paddy. Uh, they were, uh, um, worked many hours to make this happen, cutting it, uh, bundling it, um, separating the kernels from the stalk. Um, all of that work had to be done out in the field, um, and they do this all by hand. Um, it's a lot of work. In the end, the, the rice was then taken to um, a mill. It was milled, and they milled, uh, between the two groups, 3,000 pounds of rice. 3,000 pounds of rice. They sold most of the rice. They gave some of the rice to the women. Each woman got some rice. And from the funds that were, were um, re- harvested, 
they were able to give $34 to each woman. And they were delighted for three months of labor. Now, to us, that seems, how could that be possible? How could you be happy with that? We need to understand that Burundi is the third or fourth poorest country in the world. Um, that uh, many people eat two meals if they're lucky. Uh, they are on subsistence living. There is abject poverty where, where it is really, really difficult. Our work is not to make people rich, but is to give and help people learn skills so they can provide for their families and not rise out of completely out of poverty, but at least get to a place where they can live a regular life, living regular, eating regular meals and beginning to get, come out of the difficulties that they are that they're facing. So our mission, and this is our kind of our mission statement, is that we are sharing God's love. We feel that God has loved us and we feel that God's expression to his people, uh, to the world is is is, is going to be physical as well as spiritual. Uh, we emphasize the fact when we're there uh, that what we are trying to do is to share our love for God and the love of God for us to them. We want to give hope. And that's why we, we, we took the word sowing hope. And it, we're not doing a pun here. We do a sowing hope. Oh, with an O as opposed with an E, even though we started with a sewing school. The idea is to give hope. And how do we do that? We want to enhance the well-being and enable people to provide for themselves. Um, and so the old adage, you know, if you teach a, if you give a man a fish, he has a meal for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he has a, a lifetime supply. That's our philosophy. We would ask you, and we have a couple of requests, and one of them is we ask you to pray. Uh, we we uh, appreciate your prayer. We we pray that people will hear the gospel uh, through the devotionals that are given at the beginning of every session, uh, especially in the sewing school. They hear the gospel. Uh, Pastor Boniface works with the with the women in the fields, so he is also sharing the gospel with them. We pray just want to pray for physical protection for the school. Last December. Uh, we had a robbery at our school, and all of the, well, I guess all but two of the machines were stolen. We had to refinance, in a sense, to get um, up to be able to, to continue the school. Guidance for the project, some of these things we're trying to guide from this end. But really, we, we do some guidance, but the guidance is really being done on the field, and it's being done by Pastor Boniface. He really makes a lot of the decisions. It's really what we're doing is really responding to his vision by helping give the financial support for it. And then we just really pray for positive financial results, not for us, but for the people who are in the sewing school or are in the rice project. And if you would care to uh, uh, help us out financially uh, to to give, um, which is not advancing, so maybe that shouldn't happen. Well, maybe there it is. Um, you can do it several different ways. We have uh, a way to do that through our website if you want to use a, a credit card. Uh, checks uh, you can send to us. There's info on the uh, our website that gives our address. We have a very low budget of about $425 per month covers our costs here and our costs over there. We have no employees here. Uh, we are employing people in Burundi. Uh, but it's, again, a very small amount. Every four months, we have a graduation. And for those, uh, at those moments, we need about $3,000 uh, to help us purchase two-thirds of the cost of a sewing machine. So 
This is a small work. It's modest. Um, it, it's, it's something that I never set out to do. We never set out to do. We simply saw a need and we started to respond. And each response led to something else that's led to something else. We are not trying to become the next world vision. <laughs> we don't think that we're going to change the world. But what we do think is that for some people in Burundi, we have an opportunity of giving them hope, giving them the gospel, giving them means to provide for themselves. And we would enjoy uh, and invite you to, to follow our ministry if you'd like to. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back if you'd like to receive information about what's happening. Um, and there's also a sheet that gives information, particularly about the sewing school, uh, and some more details, more details than we were able to, uh, to share uh, today. I'd like to shift gears and um, share with you uh, from uh, the book of Matthew. Uh, we started in Matthew this morning, um, especially with the, the Great Commission. But I'd like to go to Matthew 25. And um, this is a passage that you actually heard a message on not too long ago from um, uh, Mr. Hickman, who Terry over here, who preached on the Luke passage. This is the parable of the talents. And I'd like to read it uh, for you before uh, I say just a few words. So this is uh, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, and I'm reading from the NIV. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those two servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathered where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what be belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. This passage is somewhat different than the passage you looked at in Luke. In Luke, it was, a, it was a man, it was a king going to claim his kingdom, and he goes away and he gives out minas. A mina is like a half a penny. It was a very small amount of money. This man is a businessman, apparently, a master. He's going away, and he's giving away talents. 
A talent, a talent was a huge amount. <laughs> if it was a talent of gold, it was 10 years salary. He's leaving a huge amount of money with a very select group of men. And he goes away and he comes back and he asks for what's happening. The man who's received five, he says, I've taken your five, I've invested it, I've worked it, and now I'm giving you back ten. Master says, wonderful, that's great. You're a good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who adds two talents, he says, look, you gave me two, I've got two more. Here they are, I'm presenting to you. And he gets the same word. He doesn't get, the first one doesn't get more praise than the second one. It's the same words. You've been, you know, you've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And then the third man comes. He says, look, you know, I know, (laughs) I know you're, you're a hard man. You can make money out of anything. So I got, well, I'll just protect what I've got here. Here's your one talent back. And the response then from God, from the master is you wicked, lazy servant. This is a wrong thing to do. Now, there's a lot of things we can take out of this passage, and time doesn't allow us to do a lot of them. But I just do, I think I'm going to have one point I'm going to make here today, and that is that God is more concerned about what we do with what we have than what we have to start with. Let me say it again. God is more concerned about what we do with what we have than what we have to start with. You know, um, it's really easy for us. We have these two tendencies when it comes to what we're able to do. One of the things is to discount, discount what we have compared, comparing ourselves to others. We need to have an attitude check on that because everything we have comes from God. Our capacities, our abilities. You may have a college education and you say, I learned, I earned it. Well, where did your brains come from? Where did your capacities come from? A lot of it is genetic. Some of it's your work, yes, but a lot of it comes through from our genes, from our, and ultimately from God who gives us this. We need to not compare ourselves with others, and we need to make sure that we don't try and make ourselves uh, uh, devalued in relationship to others. There's a verse in Zechariah 4, which I really love, Zechariah 4.10. After the exiles returned back to Egypt from being captive in, in Babylon, they came back. And they began to build, rebuild the temple. And they set the foundations. And when the foundations were set, they had a big ceremony. Half the crowd was shouting hallelujah. The other half was crying because the temple was much smaller than what it had been when they left. And Zechariah says to them, in some ways, don't despise the day of small things. We may have a limited amount of what we feel we have, funds, uh, uh, maybe it's maybe it's a spiritual gift, um, capacities at work, physical capacity. We may think that we have very little, but whatever we have, God is more concerned with what we do with it than how much we have to start with. The other tendencies we have is to kind of look down on others who have uh, a, a less gifting of us. And part of that is because we have false hierarchies. We say the person who can speak brilliantly, wow, that's the guy who's really great. Or this, this other person who's, who's, who's wonderful at, at keeping their yard, looking sharp, that's, a, that's a, a great value. And sometimes we get our values mixed up. You know, um, 
I was thinking about uh, a story that I heard about an African church in which the, uh, there was one member of the church who would always stand at the back of the church. And, um, and, and many of these churches were, were you know, a, a roof, but maybe not walls. And everyone came to church, all the children, and babies would fuss and make a, you know, make a lot of noise. And this man had a tendency to come down, and when a baby was fussing, he'd pick him up, take him out the back, and soothe the baby and calm it down. And when the church was thinking about the different spiritual gifts they had in the home, in, in the church, they thought, this guy's not much deal. And then one Sunday he didn't come. And they heard a lot of crying and a lot of fussing. And they realized that man's gift was super important. I want to just say this and in wrapping up here today. Whatever your gifts are, financially, your, 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 your personal gifts, your, your, your personality, your spiritual gifts, whatever the things that they are there, whatever they are, we are being asked to use them. Use what you have. Use what God has given to you where you are, here and now. We've talked a lot about missions, about going across to other countries. I never expected to visit Burundi or be in Burundi. That's where God has led us. But we need to take the first steps, be faithful with what we have, take what we have and put it at God's disposal. And that's the place of great blessing. And that's when we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little things. I will give you even more to do. And that's my second point that I'm not going to get to. (laughs) But there is more. God is always willing not only to grant us great gifts, but even to give us more. The man who failed, failed because he didn't see the generosity of God. He didn't see how great God was in giving, how God is a prodigal God. He gives prodigiously. And that's the God that we serve. Is it any sacrifice to give him what he's given to us? Not really. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, We recognize that uh, we can do nothing without you. We thank you for the call to abide in you, the call to be at one with you. And we want to submit to that call. Your call to go into the world, Lord. Perhaps you're calling one of us today to speak into our world, to speak into the situations that are around us. Lord, we just thank you that you are going to guide us, you're going to direct us, you're going to use what you have given to us to serve you. We put ourselves in your hands today, in Jesus' name, amen.